Uh, hey guys, how's everybody? Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Just as I was uh, just today, there was two sets of people I want to really honour. First one is Pastor Malcolm, like Mel said. He really is a, a spiritual father to us. And um, we just owe him so much more than you can understand. But also it was uh, Josh and Dan. That's their first Father's Day. New blood, there's nothing like it. So I'm just thrilled to have you guys, like, just first one in. Yeah, it's a... Um, so it's just bl- what a blessing. But Father's Day is, for me, I, I love Father's Day. It's one, one of the things that I've n- never been too shy about is dealing with those conflicting ups and downs, you know, those paradoxical sort of situations. And, um, and Father's Day I find like that because for me now my dad's gone and that's, you know, I miss my dad. Uh, but I love my kids coming in and appreciating me. And as I was contemplating it all this morning, it was like I remember when I was a kid, my, my granddad, my dad's dad, lived in Sydney, so we would always, you know, be a phone call and we'd ring, ring over there and then my pop, my mum's dad would be, it's not, he used to live next door at different points, just different times and my parents would we'd make sure we ring the grandparents and then, then it came to a time where we were making sure my kids were ringing my dad and uh, Melissa's dad and, and it's just like, now none of them are alive, Mel, Mel's dad, my dad, all of our grandparents, it's like, the landscape's changing. And I was just like, wow, you can't stop time. So it's like the land, and I was just thrilled. The landscape's changing, and it's just like, it's not bad, it's not good, it is. It just is. And um, I was just like, and, but on top of that, with Father's Day, Father is, you know, uh, probably the most interesting of all the relationships that we have. And, and I believe that just because there's a massive assault on Father, because God's designed us to know our dad as a shadow of him and to really understand what he's like. And, and the enemy that we, the Bible says that not to be unaware that we have an enemy in this, in this world. And, and, the, and the, his number one strategy is to interrupt and to corrupt that image we have of Father. And that's why we look at, uh, you know, the families, the, the, the enemy hates your family because it corrupts your vision of God. He, he, he has dads overworking and not having enough time for their kids because then it makes people misunderstand what Heavenly Father's like. He, um... You know, th- there's so much pressure on Father, and so, and and I'm not not one to sh- to to shy away from that those paradoxes. And um, for those that understand the Enneagram, I'm a Type Four, which means I think deep and I <laughs> absorb it in and, and process things. And and so it's in my maker. And you're lucky for us fours. We do the hard thinking for you, and you get to have it like just 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 put out in a plate. <laughs> And, and, uh, and coming into this Father's Day was no different for me, as some of you might have would be, can see on online if you're watching, is I've got my arm is in a cast. It's in a cast. And I was laying in the hospital bed last Sunday, last, it happened on Saturday. Let's get it out there. I fell off my skateboard. Yes, I get it. Whatever. Too old, too fat. Mind your business. We'll <laughs> we get it. We get it. I was talking to a friend today. No, you want to hit my mum? She came to help out because there's a lot going on. She's like, you know, it's time to grow up, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, mum. And, and Mel's a bit later on, she's like, you know, that's just what everybody's thinking. <laughs> I was talking to a friend, actually, Pastor Phil, uh, this week. Um, Pastor Phil is actually Malcolm and Marjorie's um, nephew. And um, when I introduced, my, introduced our kids to him, I uh, said, oh, this is Pastor Malcolm and, pa- um, Pastor and Marjorie's nephew. They're like, oh, we're related. 
because they call them Uncle Malcolm and Uncle Mar- and Auntie Marjorie. <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> so it doesn't quite work like that. But uh, but anyway, he was saying, and I was like, oh, well, I'm, he was saying, oh, we'll get prepared for it at church. You're going to get peppered with that. And I said, yeah, well, I'll tell him, what's the word? when did you hand in your man card? And he said, it's not the man card. Did you hand in your boy card? <laughs> anyway, I'm lying in this hospital bed, just feeling sorry for myself. And you want to like feel, really, come on, you can jump on the pity wagon, it's good. So this isn't just an isolated incident. I've, before, right before this, I had a really serious chest infection. And then before that, I had a bad reaction to the, uh, which one of the, the Pfizer vaccine. I know it's not pronounced like that. I like to say it like that. I have the microphone. Pfizer. Uh, and I ended up in hospital for that. And it was just a little bit before that, I had a broken foot. And it was just like, and I've just been, come on, God. And you know how, no, this is how bad it was, guys. I'm in the hospital bed. And I'm like, I'm opening the book of Job. <laughs> I need someone who understands my pain. For those that don't understand the book of Job, who aren't familiar with the book of Job, is this guy who basically there's 40 chapters in the Bible of misery. And so it's like one thing after another thing happens to this guy. Then his mates come around and tell him how he's brought it all on himself. For a, just, and this goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters. And I'm like, yeah, Job, I get you. I feel your pain. And I'm like... And I'm sitting there, and, and, and then I start to sort of, all right, God, what are you trying to tell me? I'm not saying God broke my arm, but I do know that God doesn't miss an opportunity. He doesn't miss an opportunity. He, he will always win. He will always win. And I'm, and I'm like laying there, and I'm, you know, just dealing with my mess. And I know at some point I've got to snap out of it. And I'm like, all right, God, I get I've got to snap out of it at some point. But I have questions. I have questions. Who, what, when, why? And I'm like laying there and, and as I've just sort of, and he's gentle, God's so gentle. He's, he's, so, he's really kind. He's really kind. And I'm like, God, come on, man. I really... And like I was thinking, even back, going back a f- even a couple more years, where you know I really felt God t- uh, called me to take a step of faith and take risks of faith, and you know, and then COVID hits and just scuttles all of the plans, and then just one thing after another, and I'm laying there in just excruciating agony. Oh, because it hurts, guys! It does really hurts. I'm not. No, this one actually hurts. There's no like man thing about it. This is like serious pain. And I'm laying there and I'm like, God, please, what is going on, you know? And just, just wanting him just, to, just some clarity. And um, crickets. It's just crickets. And, and then I, I'm just, just like laying there. I'm like, okay, cool. You know what? I don't have to understand this. I don't have to. I let go. I was like, you know what? There, there comes a point where I've got to actually work out who's God in my life. And as I was like, sort of, okay. And, and what I really just had to surrender was the, the why, you know, the how, you know, the, the bigger picture. And I just had to surrender that. And I'm like, okay. And as I, I was just laying there, and then all of a sudden after, I was just, I, I let God, you know, I, I just was, was just like, okay, God, I don't understand it. But I lean on the fact that you're good. I lean on the fact that you have called me and, we, and really what happened in that moment I'm like well okay hang on 
and, and really the frustration didn't come down to I, d- I don't feel so much being uncomfortable. It was more the fact that I just felt God had more for me. And I thought, God, I'm so sure that you've called me to more. I'm, I'm so sure that you've called my life to make a difference. I'm so sure that you haven't called me to sit on the bench, to sit on the hospital bed, to sit on the sideline. I was so certain that you put your hand on my life and you've spoken to me, that you have a plan for my life, you have a purpose for my life. And I was so sure of it. And I, and, and, and that's where I had, so in that place I'm sitting there, I'm just, so, I, d- I didn't ask God for an answer, I just put it there. I put it next to the, the uh, it's almost like there's two plates, and in one plate where I'd been demanding answers, it was just an empty plate which was saying, God, I don't need answers. And then next to that was like, and here's what I know you've promised me, and I, and I just left that paradox sitting there, I left the tension sitting there, and I didn't demand that God reconcile the two. And what I really saw God doing was he wanted me to let them both sit there at the same time and be okay. And as I, um, you know, and Mel, Mel's come and she said, well, you know, you're preaching on Sunday. You're still going to be good to go. I can preach if you like. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll be fine. I expect that, um, I expect I'll be fine. It's, it's just a broken arm. It's not a... Um, and I was like, no, I, I believe God's going to speak to us. I, I believe that God's going God's to speak to us and we're going to learn about the nature of God. And, and as I've been processing and, and, and contemplating and just sitting with those two plates, one, the empty plate where I say, God, you don't have to do anything. You, you don't have to explain things to me. I'm not demanding anything. And the other one was, I believe that when you spoke those words over my life, you know, that sense of destiny you have in your heart, that sense of purpose, that sense of something. I believe that's from you and I believe it's still there. And just letting it sit there. And God started to minister to me, started to speak to me. And what I really started to see was we're called to live in a dimension above the here and now, above the sea touch filled realm. And in Ephesians in chapter 3, it says this, it's the Apostle Paul, it's probably right after he did the Lego games (laughs) at whatever original Olympics where Lego was invented. He, he he said this in, in Ephesians chapter three and verse eight. Well, we'll start at verse nine. Uh, when was I start at verse eight? Although I am less than the least of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Stop right there for one second. That's talking about the angels and demons. It's actually talking about the spiritual, uh, the, the spiritual reality that, that 
he, he's saying that he's, he wants the church to show heaven and hell what he's like. That, that's what that's saying in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and I'll read it, keep going, because it, it in him and through faith in him, having understood that God wants to use you to show off ama- how amazing he is before all of heaven and hell. With that in mind, understanding that coming from that perspective, look at how it teaches us to approach him. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged for my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And what we've done here is we've, we've been presented with this text that is so foreign, alien to our concepts. It's actually bringing another dimension in one of the clearest ways in the entire scripture. It's one of the clearest accounts of, an, of another dimension layered onto this dimension that we live in. It's one of the clearest exa- examples of where God's saying, hey, I want this earthly realm to be used to display my goodness to the heavenly realm. And it actually brings the two together. And it doesn't happen very often in scripture that clearly. And he says, with that in mind, coming from that perspective, now you can really come to me in, in a way that is totally free. And as I'm reading that, all of a sudden I'm like, boom, back to Job. Job chapter 1, verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. What's this? This is the rulers. This is the angels and the demons. We know it's demons because of the next verse and says, and Satan was there. So actually in this other realm, there's a lot of interaction between the invis- our invisible, uh, the invisible reality, God the Father, the angels and demons. There's a lot of interaction And in this situation, we actually get a glimpse of what God's talking about when he used the Apostle Paul to write Ephesians 3, when he says, I want you to display the manifold wisdom of God. And here is an example of when that is being displayed and how, and this is the interaction. And one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. So to really understand, if you guys aren't familiar, angels and demons, they're all in the same realm. Actually, it's, it, it's actually like sides. You understand the whole concept of the, the light and dark. It, it's, it's real. And it says here that uh, and Satan was also with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? It's interesting that God didn't say, Satan, hence thou Satan out of thyest sight. He's not intimidated by Satan. He's not afraid at all. He's like, hey, what have you been doing? And then Satan tells him what he's been doing. He says, I've been roaming throughout the earth back and forward. Now get this. You've got to understand, this is like 
God, the King of heaven. The angels have come to present themselves to God, like which I don't understand. It's something they do, I guess. And I guess that's God's design because he's the creator. He's the one who calls things in. He must have initiated this thing where they have to come and, and somehow it matters. And Satan's there and he said to Satan, what have you been up to? Satan says, I've been cruising, man. And God's response to him is amazing. He says this, in all your cruising, <laughs> verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And there's this interaction where Job is talking with God about, where Satan's talking with God about Job. And, and he says, yeah, but if I put him to the test. And God's like, nah, he'll, he'll do it, do it. He's like, I promise you, he will, he will what, what will he do? He will manifest, he'll show the angels and demons what God's like. And then we read this encounter where, uh, where this guy Job is just peppered. He's absolutely peppered. And he's gone through this long process. But I love it that there's a, there's in, verse, in, in chapter 1, still in chapter 1, it, it says this about Job. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So I'm like, um, God, this is my human perspective. Cool, just bear with me. God, you actually pointed the dude out to the devil. Just putting it out there. You know, like, come on, that seems not cool. You know, just saying. And then, again, we're presented with these paradoxes. We're presented with this, hang on, there's what, because the scripture says a couple of things. It says that God is good. There's no evil in him. He can't do wrong. He can't lie. Another thing, a place that says that he doesn't test us. He doesn't tempt us. He doesn't tempt us to sin. So if they're infallible truths, and we're presented with this, what seems in our logic to be God putting this dude in a situation where he'd be very tempted to complain, whinge, say, God, what are you doing to me? And then we're in this place where it says, but Job didn't. He didn't. And what f what where that takes us is, is the place where Job knew God. He knew God. And I was blown away when I saw the parallels between these two scriptures. Where in Ephesians 3, where the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say that, God wants to use us, the church, to show heaven and hell the manifest wisdom of God. And that actually gives us, when we're approaching, when we're coming in with that understanding, it gives us this access to be able to deal with Him strictly as kids, strictly as His children. And then... For me, there's a scripture I lean on when, when I'm challenged in situations like this. It's Hebrews 11, 11, and it says this. It says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. It says, By faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, to really understand it, Sarah was in her 90s at this point when she actually had the kids. She had a promise from God. Firstly, she had a desire 
as most people do growing up. They actually had a desire for a family of her own. Then that was cemented with a promise from God saying you will bear children. But time was passing. Time was passing. And in her 90s, the promise came to pass. But it says that it came to pass because her faith wasn't in her ability. Her faith was, it says here, because she considered him faithful. She's like, I don't get it. She had her two plates. One saying, I don't get it. Here's my dreams, my hopes, what I wanted. Here's what I even feel you've said to me. She says, but I know you're faithful. And was put in this place where all she had to do was lean on. All she had to lean on was, I don't know much. I know the clock's ticking. I know in practical terms it's past, but I know God's faithful. And that's all she had to lean on. And as I've read, this, no, no, I'm going to be really honest with you. And I, and I try to be holy and stuff, but I'm not very good at it. This has always bothered me. This passage has always bothered me. I'm like, honestly, she's 90, man. She's missed out her entire life of raising a son, raising a child. She's missed out. And as much as you want to celebrate, oh, wow, what a great miracle. I actually think she, this poor woman. It's heartbreaking her life. All she's wanted was a kid and she hasn't had one. And I look at even and then in my own situation, like, well, God, here's what I feel you promised me. Here's the dreams and desires you put in my heart. I'm turning 40 next week. Come on, what's going on? And just as we were in worship, God spoke to me. And he said, we make time an idol time is a created thing time was actually the second thing created the first thing was light then there was time which was the space between light and darkness and god called it the first day time was a created thing we hold time as an idol when we get frustrated with how long things are taking when we get frustrated with how long things are taking we are making time an idol We are making time an idol, you see, because we operate so much. Look, on my wrist is time. How often do you look at the time? All day. It matters. All of our days structured around this time. And while we're holding time as an idol, we aren't going to be able to appreciate that God... He's going to do what he's going to do. We're not going to be okay with God doing things in his time frame. And as I was sitting in worship, I, I really felt God saying, I need you to uh, adjust your demand from doing things the way you want them done to understanding that I want your life to shine, not just before your peers, but before heaven and hell. To shine before heaven and hell, you need to take time off the throne in your life. You need to be okay. You need to be okay with the time involved in the process. You need to be okay. You have to take that off. You have to be okay. You have to adjust your standard. And really what I, when we were praying this morning in the prayer meeting, 
I, I just felt God strongly calling me to pray for calibration, to calibrate us to him. You see, we look at there's a prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray a prayer, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. All the, you know, Catholic school kids, you'll know this by heart. Pentecostals aren't so much, but it's a bit, most of us will know this prayer loosely. And it goes something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, art, you know that word, art, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that prayer, Jesus, the only time Jesus actually taught his people how to pray, and the first thing he said to pray for, and, and the prayer is, is one person, so that's you or me maybe, praying to another person, who? Our Father who is in heaven, God. One person praying to a second person for a third person. And the prayer is this, our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. The very first thing he wants us to pray. And that word hallowed, it's, it's pretty far removed from what it actually means in our, in, our, in our thinking. It's actually, it comes from the root. The root of this word is an excited reverence, an excited reverence. Maybe imagine you seeing, uh, imagine if, let's say, Queen Elizabeth came in right now. You know, cool. Like, I'm not saying, like, oh, my goodness, it's, but you'd be, like, in awe. I was going to say, you know, you'd be in awe. Or Scott Morrison, we were in a, in a Zoom prayer meeting once, and Scott Morrison popped into it. I mean, we were, there was an excited reverence. We were, ex- there was, we were very, like, oh, my goodness, but we are excited. But there's another part of it, of that word. It's a warm embrace. Excited reverence and warm embrace. And Jesus said, hey, uh, you need to pray. This is above everything else that you can pray for is you pray to the Father that people would engage with the name Father. Engage with Him with an excited reverence and a warm embrace. And the best way I can think to understand that was when Tiffany, my little girl, was at home and when she before school and I'd come home from work and she would just full throttle run and grab, just run and boom. She was so excited her dad was home. She, she was so excited. Now we have dogs that do that. <laughs> and they run. But that, that's what it's talking about. Jesus is saying, guys, my, the most important thing we can pray for is that people engage with father like a little kid when their dad's home from work. Or when you're away on a work trip, even better. And they run and they go through your stuff. And where's the stuff you got me after the cuddles and all of the, you know. But that's it. It's like, that's the interaction. The number one thing Jesus wants us to understand, their prayer. And so we're at this place where God's saying, that is what I want. That's what I want for you. But that's also what, the way I want my church to interact with me. So it doesn't matter what's going on. That's how we process Father. That's how we know Father. So we're at this point where we're taking time off the throne. We seriously have to. And one of the ways you can see if time's on the throne is do you get impatient? It's idolatry. It's idolatry. I'm not an impatient person in the sense of this has to happen right now in three seconds. Why have you not done this? Why have you not done that? I, I know people like that. 
I may be married to someone like that. And, and I've always thought I'm pretty good because I'm like, oh, I've got such good character. I'm so patient. But no, 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 because I'm on the other side of it, this deep, boiling anger. <laughs> Why are things not happening? Why? You know, the bigger picture stuff. Bigger picture stuff. And it's all the same. And we're at this point where God's saying, guys, if we can come to this, and this is what he says here in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, it says, His intent is that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, Paul, what he's saying in this point, I've never understood this before. What he's saying here is like, guys, I'm not bothered by this. I'm not bothered by this. I get it. I'm okay. Don't let it get under. It doesn't matter. And then we move further through this amazing, uh, this amazing chapter in, in, uh, in Ephesians 3. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, you may, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner hearts, in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Then listen here, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Taking the context, operating from that place of surrender, we're in a place now where God can do what He needs to do through your life. And it doesn't come through demanding. It doesn't come through complaining. It comes through surrender. It comes through putting the idol of time to the side. It comes through putting the idol of I have to know why to the side. It comes through the idol of I know what's best for me to the side. It comes through the idol of this is what I want to happen when I want it to happen. My schedule, my plan to the side. When we put all of that to the side, God's like, now I can use you. Now I can use you. And it says it's then that we can come to Him as Father. It's then that we know Him as Father. It's then that we can approach Him with freedom and confidence. We're just going to, I'm just going to invite everyone in their own time to come up and we're going to take the communion emblems and I just think it would be a good time to recalibrate. be a good time for us to say, hey, God, here's all the stuff. I'm holding it loosely. Even the stuff I know you've promised me, I'm holding it loosely. I'm not demanding it be done in any time frame, in any style. I'm just letting you do it your way. Because I trust you. You're my heavenly Father and I trust you. Actually, before we take the emblems, I just want us to, can we everyone bow their heads? You know, you might never have 
made Jesus the Lord of your life, you might never have put God in that place of Father in your life. You know, if you've never done that, I'd love to give you the opportunity to, to do that this morning. If you're in the house or online, I just want you to pray with me. And what we're all going to do, we're all, the whole church, we're going to pray together. Most of us have prayed this prayer at different times. We're all going to pray it again. But if you're praying it for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to God, I just ask that you pray it and mean it with all of your heart. So just repeat after me, church. Dear God, today I choose to come home. I want to know you as Father. Forgive me for living life my own way. Help me to walk with you as I start this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, let's just get up and, and I'm just while the band's playing, you're going to get the communion. There's, they're just the, the, the juice and the cracker. and I want us to sit down and recalibrate. Say, God, where have I taken you off the throne? Where have I insisted things are done my way? And just bring things back into alignment. Thank you, Jesus. Just while the band's playing, guys.